Our current series is called United We Stand, and this is week six, so we've covered all kinds of stuff. I'll do just a quick, quick recap. Uh, division in the body of Christ is sin. Okay, there we go. That was the first five weeks. Um, a few other details in there. You know, Jesus was real clear about that. We're to be unified. Just as He and the Father, He prayed that we would be one, just as He and the Father are one. It's an amazing thing. I, be- I believe the prayers of Jesus can be answered. Uh, scripture is very clear on this. Um, the unity that we will have with other believers is not based on exact theological agreement. It's not based on uh, being of the same culture, the, the same church culture, singing the t- same types of songs, uh, or even being of the same social class or the same clique. That's not what our unity is going to be based on. It's not thinking the same things are cool. That's not what's going to bring us together as the greater body of Christ. I believe we're called to be unified with churches that play organs on Sunday. Amen? Amen. So come on. The unity that we have with other believers is based on the love of God. He loves me. He loves them. Why should I differ with God on that? I should be with God on that. You know, one time when I was in the midst of unforgiveness, anybody ever been stuck in unforgiveness? Trying to forgive somebody? Or maybe you're not even trying, and you're just like, ah, wouldn't it please be judgment day just for them right now? Like, who was it? James and John asked Jesus, Jesus, do you want us to rain down fire from heaven on these people? You know, and they're like, come on, this is going to be great. Um, but I was in the midst of unforgiveness. And I was directed to a couple of specific individuals because of a particular situation. You know how that stuff goes. And I was sitting at a red light in Bemidji. And the Lord showed me, because I was trying to get through it. You know what I mean? Like you're trying, you're trying, you're trying to forgive, you're just not succeeding. And the Lord showed me, are you going to oppose me on what I did on the cross? Are you going to oppose me? The cross is there to take our sins away. I wanted the sins of these people to be plastered on them and the consequences of them to just run them over. I was in direct opposition to the cross. That's not a good place for a Christian to be. So, had a little repentance moment right there. Uh, Paul and Babe on the right, the old Lucans on the left, <laughs> stoplight right there, and uh, had my little moment in time. We need to love one another. <coughs> All right. I'm going to quiz you again. You guys remember this was like four weeks ago. You got this wrong, but you're going to get it right this time. All right. So in America, of course, there's worldly culture. We're slipping away from God. We're, a lot of people consider this to be a post-Christian culture. Can the worldly culture destroy the church? No! The gates of hell will not prevail. We can only implode from the inside. We can only be destroyed through division. This worldly culture cannot conquer what God is doing. Not even the gates of hell will overcome. So hallelujah, let's stand on that and believe that.
Another point we went through is everybody's going to have to give an account for how they live before God. So be fully convinced that you're doing it right. <laughs> look, at, look at the Scriptures. Pray. Get a conviction about it. Because you're going to have to answer to God for it. And so will they. So let it go. They don't eat meat on Friday during Lent. They're going to have to answer to God for that. You do. You're going to have to answer to God for that. Be fully convinced in your heart, in your mind, and go with it. I believe God is working in people's lives. Everybody in here, everybody that's not in here. God is working on people. Let's not mess that up by trying to fix them when we're not supposed to. Amen? Amen. There we go. We're making progress. I think you guys have been learning these things. That's really good. And then bear with the failings of the weak so that we can build them up. When somebody's not doing something right, don't hit them with the hammer. Bear with their failings to build them up. So we've gone through 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters. We've gone through Romans 14 and 15. Now we're going back to 1 Corinthians and we're going to chapter 5. Do you guys know what's in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians? Something that seems very different from what we've talked about for the first five weeks. Now, you remember I, I like to talk about ditches, how... You know, oh, we're over here in this ditch, uh, whatever ditch it may be, like in this example. Hey, do whatever you want. Jesus loves you. That's a ditch. It's not that we can just do whatever in the world we want. It's that everybody needs to be fully convinced in their own mind. They need to pray about it. They need to study it through. And when we do that, different people will come to different convictions and we need to put up with that with each other. But that doesn't mean that you can just do whatever in the world you want. Murder is still not okay. If you, if you read the Scriptures and you pray and you decide I'm going to murder my neighbor, you're making a mistake. You're simply wrong. You can't do that. You, you've missed a whole bunch of stuff. So the whole, hey, do whatever you want, it's all good, is one ditch. And then the everybody has to be exa exactly like me, of course, is the other ditch. Because you never think everybody should just be like somebody else. You know, they should all be just like me. They should care about the same things I care about. They should believe exactly the same as me. Isn't that the other ditch? So there's ditches. And in this case... With the United We Stand, we've been talking about loving people who have other beliefs than us, who do things in different ways, and other Christians, we're talking about loving them. Now, we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you're not familiar with it, it's the expel the immoral brother chapter. It's the so-and-so is not doing something right, so kick him out! Paul spends four chapters talking about unity. Then he spends like a chapter and a half saying, kick him out! And then he goes back to unity again. What in the world is going on? You know, I used to be part of the uh, what I would consider the scientific community. Uh, one of the things I enjoyed about being in the scientific community is they never got scared that science wasn't actually true. 
You know what I mean? They would find some results that were completely bizarre and they'd go, wow, I wonder what's going on with that. Let's find out. They weren't scared that science was just a big facade and a joke. They were supremely confident that science was going to, yeah, well, I don't know the answer, but there is one. With Christians, though, when they hear something they don't understand or they read something they don't understand, all of a sudden they get scared. Have you noticed that? Like, oh, maybe the Bible's not true. Oh, maybe God doesn't care about me. Oh, and, they, and they just like their basic assumptions can be crushed. It's like, guys, let me tell you, God is real. The Bible's true. God loves you. You have eternal life in Christ if you're willing to submit to Him and, and live your life with Him. You have that. You're not going to understand everything though. And so when you come across something you don't understand, don't let that shake your faith. Let's have a confident expectation that we'll either get the answer or that the answer doesn't matter that much to me anyway. Scientists don't understand everything. Did you know that? They don't. Neither do we. Faith allows us to be comfortable not knowing everything. Let's get there. Amen? So we're going to read some stuff in 1 Corinthians, and you may at first think, wow, what? So just relax. God is real. The Bible's true. He loves you. <laughs> Eternal life in Christ is there for us. He will never leave us or forsake us. It's all true. We are to stand unified and put up with each other. And so let's go through this. Expel the immoral brother business. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read 1 through 5, I believe, at the beginning here. It is actually reported that there is sexual immor immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Now, let's, let's get a hold of this. Listen to how that builds. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord. When you're all together in the name of Christ. And I am with you in spirit. And the apostle is there in the spiritual realm. Not just us, but regionally coming together. And the power of our Lord Jesus is present. And the power of God is there. Hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Is Paul pretty worked up here? Oh yeah. I did some research on this hand him over to Satan business because I've read that a couple times in the Scriptures and I thought, what in the world is that? It seems a little strange. Aren't we supposed to try to rescue people from Satan? Isn't that like really a fundamental core concept of Christianity? Let's get people free from the clutches of the enemy. It's really, really important. So I looked it up and they, whenever you get like several different people, these people are completely wrong in what they understand. Here's what it is. And the next one says, yeah, well, both of those are completely wrong. Here's what it is. Then you know we just don't know what it means. 
You know what I mean? We just don't know because everybody has their opinion. They're firmly convinced in their own mind and that's great. Um, but one thing's for sure. It does mean a backing away from that person. It's, it's a saying, yes, the favor of God is on us. The protection of God is on us. The power of God is on us. We're going to back away from this one. That's a very serious thing. It's a very serious thing. So let's look into this. I guess there's a line. (laughs) It's a line you can cross. It's Paul over and over. Hey, put up with the failings of the weak. Hey, you know, don't please yourself, but just try to edify others. And now, bam! Somebody crossed the line. Do you guys know about Ananias and Sapphira? They crossed the line too. They were part of the early church. And uh, uh, Barnabas sold a field and brought all the money and put it at the disciples' at the apostles' feet and said, hey, here, do with it what you want. Ananias and Sapphira saw that and thought, wow, everybody really likes Barnabas now. We should do that, except let's keep some of the money. And so they did. They, they, they lied and said, yes, we're giving you all the money. And we're really fancy and we want you to have balloons and cake for us, just like you did for Barnabas. And if you've read the account in Acts, they both fell dead. You know, Jesus loves you and He went to the cross for you. But He's not an enabler. He's not a pushover. He's no fool. He sees through when you're trying to pull one over on Him. He gets it. He's real bright. He sees through everything. And so when we're trying to do the wrong thing, and we're trying to use religious justification for it, ooh, that makes God mad. So there's a line. All right, I'm trying to understand this. Let me ask you just a few questions. Does God call us to a life of holiness? How about to a life of legalism? No, a life of holiness. We are to try to be holy. And what that means basically is like God. We're to, we're to try to live our lives. What would Jesus do? You know, all that stuff. We're to try to be doing right by God in how we live. We are to try to be holy. And you know, there's different definitions of the word try. For some people, the word try means I don't have to do that. You know, hey, are you going to come over tomorrow? I'll try. That means they're not coming. Right? <laughs> right? That's one definition of try. That's not the definition I'm wanting to use. I mean actually try. Like when I was trying to forgive. I was really trying. I was failing. It took me a year. Have you ever been in a place like that where you're trying to forgive and it's just, 
you keep hitting a brick wall, you say all the right things, you speak out forgiveness, and then you check your heart and you're like, nope, <laughs> forgiveness has not happened. <laughs> so, I, but I was trying. I was really honestly trying. I was failing. It took me a year. Finally got there. Needed a revelation, word of knowledge from God to get there. We are called to a life of holiness I want to put it this way because that can be a little confusing. We are called to get good at following Christ. We're supposed to be good at this. Being Christians, we're supposed to be good at it. We're not supposed to be really bad at it. We played softball on Monday. It was fun. Amen? We have the softball players. Woo! We were tied, not just 0-0, but we were tied 10-10 at one point. It was really great. We Yeah! We lost, but what are you going to do? You know, we tried. We were in it. You know, we were having fun. It was a good time. Got to see some great base running and some all, all kinds of wonderful fun. You know, so we, we tried to get good at softball, and we did okay. And people, I think, understand that. You know, you try to hit the ball and get a home run or a single or something. Uh, you try to do all that stuff right, catch the ball, throw the ball. You try to do that. We're to try to be good at being Christians. I don't think these people in Corinth were really trying. I mean, did you? I read through it pretty quick because I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on the exact specifics of what was going on there. But, uh, I mean, if you're trying to avoid sexual immorality, are you going to go down that road? I don't think they were trying. You know what I mean? And one of the scarier things is, they made it part of their doctrine. Because it says you're proud. Later on in verse 6, it says you're boasting about it. They made it part of their theology that you can do this sort of thing. Oofta. I mean, it's one thing to put up with a goofed up human being. It's another person to say, this is being good at following Christ. I'm okay with putting up with goofed up people. But we're not going to make a theology pretending that that's the ultimate way to serve God. Amen? Amen. We're called to be good at being Christians. I don't think they were succeeding. But there's more to it than that. Are we supposed to be the light of the world? The Christians, the believers, the church. Remember, this was brand new Christianity in Corinth. The book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's walking on the earth. Christianity hasn't taken root across the globe like it has today. People haven't seen Christianity before. And when they look at it, They're seeing the church in Corinth engaging in activities that not even pagans do. Are we to be the light of the world? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. <coughs> says this, just in case it's confusing and we're not sure if we're supposed to be the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Okay. 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. How are the Corinthians doing with that? You know you're noticed. How you live your life is noticed. Charles Barkley said, I'm not a role model. Remember that way back when? He didn't want to be a role model. But guess what? Kids were looking. You may think, I don't want to be someone that other people look to. Well, you don't get to choose. If you're a Christian, people are looking. It just goes along with the territory. We are to be the light of the world. Here's my little definition. What does it mean to be the light of the world? It means that if someone who doesn't know God wants to find out what it means to love and follow God, they look at you. Being the light of the world means if somebody who doesn't know God wants to find out what it means to love and follow God, they look at you. And they were looking at the church in Corinth. And what were they seeing? They were seeing egregious sin celebrated in the theology of the church. It's like written into the bylaws. You can do this. Youch. It's a big responsibility to be the light of the world. It's a big responsibility. I, I grew up outside of the faith as kind of a Monty Python fan. Any Monty Python fans out there? Remember the life of Brian? Yeah. I think it's, it's terrible. I, I rewatched it. You know how when you watch something as a non-Christian and then you watch it decades later as a Christian, you go, why did, why did I ever watch that? What's the matter? What? And now I know why everybody was griping about these things. I thought it was fine. You know, you're like, oh boy. Oofta. But so I rewatched The Life of Brian, which I wouldn't necessarily suggest. And I also watched a, uh, a commentary with the Monty Python guys. And they were talking about the creative process and how they did all these different things. And, and their original intention was to make fun of Jesus. They were like, yeah, let's, cause you know, they, back then, funny and offensive were basically the same thing. And you know, you just try to say words no one else has said before and you try to, you know what I mean? That was kind of the shtick. <coughs> and so, they were going to make fun of Jesus. So they got Bibles and they checked it all out and they're like, hmm, this was in the interview. They're like, there's nothing really to make fun of here. But we can make fun of the people that follow Jesus. That's easy. So let's do that instead. So they made a little adjustment. They knew they couldn't make fun of Jesus because there was nothing, you know, they're like, you know, blessed be the poor. They're like, how are we going to make fun of that? You know, I... Tell the truth. Be nice to people. You know, like, uh, they, they couldn't make fun of that. They didn't find anything. They looked for it. They couldn't find it. But they found all kinds of stuff with God's people. We are the light of the world. They assumed Jesus was a joke because of what they saw Christians doing. 
They were surprised when they looked at the Scriptures and found out that He was actually a good guy and taught some great stuff that they couldn't make fun of. They were surprised. Because looking at us, they were sure Jesus was a goofball. We are the light of the world. Who are the Corinthians showing God to be? Not the God of righteousness and truth, but the God of perverse sin. That's not who He is. There's two major mistakes that I see the Corinthians making, and they're also made today. Hopefully not to the same extent. But you know what? Have you looked at the state of the Christian culture today? If you look at the broad, is there some stuff, ways we're representing God that maybe aren't so awesome? I'm not. People sometimes think because I am big into loving other believers that are goofed up that I'm okay with what other believers are doing that's goofed up. That's not the case at all. But it's my place to love people. Their knee will bow. If they ask me, I'll give them my opinion. But until then, I'm going to try to build a relationship so that they'll ask. I'm not going to hit them in the head with a hammer and tell them how wrong they are. Unless, I mean, there can be appropriate situations for that. I would say Paul here is hitting the Corinthians in the head with a hammer. He had the authority, he had the position to do that. Two major mistakes that the Corinthians were doing that happened today that we want to make sure that we don't do. Number one, they misunderstood what grace was. And there's other scriptures that demonstrate this as well. We're not going to go into all of those, but grace, I see people taking grace in, in two different ways. What is grace? Grace is that God loves us for no real good reason. Right? So what does that mean? If God loves us for no good reason, hey, we can do whatever we want. Or, God loves me for no good reason. I want to be a part of what He's doing. He's opened the door for me. For no good reason. He doesn't need me. He, I mean, what am I bringing to the table with God? But I'm going to go with Him because He's opened the door. A misunderstanding of what grace is. Here's the bad definition of grace. My wife told me, make sure you say over and over and over again, this is not what grace really is. This, I think, is the culture misunderstanding grace. <coughs> and it's this. Bad definition of grace. We get to have all the benefits of following Christ without actually having to follow Christ. Is that what grace is? That we get all the benefits of following Christ without actually having to follow Christ. This, I believe, is so pervasive in our culture. Did you know non-Christians are offended if you tell them they're not going to heaven? The Christian heaven? You're not a Christian. Why should that apply to you? 
Why should you think it does? It makes no sense. Oh, I refuse the Christian God, but he better let me into his thing. What? That makes no sense. I want the benefits of following Christ without actually having to follow Christ. You know what? If you want the benefits of following Christ, you actually have to follow Christ. But the grace of God empowers us to do that. It doesn't empower us to sin and keep getting forgiven. I mean, that's, hallelujah, he keeps forgiving us. But I should read this because it's way better. (laughs) Grace is God's empowerment for victory, not a justification for perpetual failure. That's right. No cheap grace. We get Bonhoeffer coming to this place, you know, it would be awesome. (coughs) But we are to get victory We are to overcome this type of sin, not wallow in it and go farther in because God loves us. That's insanity. We should be good at being Christians. Did you know sin is bad for you? God doesn't tell us not to sin because He just isn't any fun. God tells us not to sin because He's trying to help us. He's trying to keep us from destroying ourselves, from destroying each other, so that we can live in a wonderful, abundant eternity. If we're saying mean things to each other, that's not abundant life. That's not a kingdom of God with no tears, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. No one's going to Say something mean about you in heaven. So we need to practice that now. So, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free to be free from sin, not free to sin. We got that? They're on it? The second thing that the Corinthians didn't understand was that they were ambassadors for Christ on this planet. They were ambassadors for Christ. They were representing the living God in how they did church. I believe they felt that grace allowed them to sin and that they didn't understand that that was dragging the name of our Heavenly Father through the dirt. They were ambassadors for Christ. Just quickly read 1 Corinthians 5, 9-11. That should get us through the chapter. I mean, There's more in the chapter than what we've read. Boy, I encourage you to read your Bibles. Do your soap. Read, read that stuff. Cause man, oh man. Let's, we need to be in here and know what it has to say. Uh, nine through eleven. I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Alright, that's probably good. I don't know that I need more than that considering what time it is to make my point. It seems that Christians have got this backwards. We put up with each other, but we hate the world. And we're all messed up. Have you noticed that? Paul says, 
Boy, a non-Christian who's messed up, who cares? You expect them to follow Christ effectively? Of course not. They're not going to. And they're not ambassadors for Christ. They're not representing the living God with their behavior. They're just people making mistakes. They're the lost sheep that need to be rescued by God. They're not the people of God who are representing God. Did you know you go from a transition of needing to be rescued by God? And that's a place that we're all at at one time. Once you get rescued, and you get healed up, and you get strengthened, now you're in a place to represent God. Don't try to stay there. It doesn't work. Be rescued. Get healed. Walk in the grace of God. Get victory one step at a time over the years of your life. Get victory. Be overcoming and represent God. Pardon me. So here's the conclusion. Who are you showing God to be? Who are we showing God to be? A God who's easily offended? Is this the God of offense? Is this the God of hate? Is this the God of exclusiveness and division? Is this the God of indifference? Who is the God we serve? And how do we show that through who we are? We serve the God of love, of abundant life, of strength, of unity. If you're actually trying to serve God as best you can, God is very patient. We've been reading that for the last five weeks. But if you're trying to use religious arguments to empower yourself to sin and not follow God and to lead others astray because you're now claiming to be the light of the world and you're walking away from God and thus leading others away from God, it's a different story. Honestly be trying. He's profoundly patient with people who are honestly trying and we should be profoundly patient with people who are honestly trying. Good news, if you're actually trying to serve God as best you can, that's when you can have abundant life. People think trying to serve God as best you can leads to a boring, unpleasant life. That's a lie. Being free from the clutches of the enemy is a glorious place to be. Being in a place where you can see the hand of God move, is a glorious place to be. We're in a position to see people born and live their life because of gathering together. We're in a position to be able to bless orphanages in other countries because we come together. I tell you what, I, yesterday I got all, I was all, you know, I'm a real emotional guy, but I'm, I'm like one of those people. You know what I mean? I just smile and 
But I'm thinking about two orphanages in Jamaica being behind on their utility payments. What does that mean for the kids? What are they eating? What schooling are they getting now? They can't pay their electric bill. What does this mean for them? What's going on over there? I want to know that because we need to do something. We can't just leave that be. We're going to go there in January. I want to go there today. You know? The good news is, if you fully submit your life to the Lord, if you say, yes, I will serve you with all of what I've got, I'll try. I'll honestly try. Even when we try, we make mistakes. I'll honestly try. That is where abundant life is. Not in the place where we resist God. That's not where abundant life is. It's in the place where we serve Him with all of who we are. We're going to close in prayer and I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. We want you to come forward for prayer if you have a prayer need. If you want, to, if you want us to pray with you as you give your heart to Christ and say, yes, I will follow you, you come up here. Your sins, even if you're not perfect, did you know your sins can be perfectly forgiven? That's what Jesus did on the cross. He made it so we could be perfectly forgiven. So I want you to, if if something's stirring in your heart, I want you to come forward and receive prayer. God moves when His people pray. So let's pray together and close the service. Heavenly Father, I do thank You for Your grace and mercy. Thank You, Lord, for Your kindness. I thank You, Lord, that You have lavished on us Your love. Help us to share that, but don't let us treat you as an enabler. Don't let us stomp on you because you love us. Help us to be motivated to serve you because we are ambassadors for you. We show you to the world and we don't want to misrepresent you. So Lord, bless us and encourage us. I pray your grace and your spirit upon each one of us in this place. May your light go with us into our families, into our workplaces, Everywhere we go, let your light shine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.